Hello and welcome to Landings with a Flare, the podcast where we supplement and support flight training. This is Captain Teresa. This conversation was recorded on the audio platform called Clubhouse. You will likely hear some variation in audio quality as speakers tune in from around the world. We hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations. Welcome aboard. Are simulators good for training? Some people love simulators. Some people hate simulators. The real secret is knowing when to use them and when not. But what are your thoughts? Are simulators good for training? Maura. I think that they're a very good tool for training. Personally, I've had a good and a bad thing with simulators. Where When I started typewriting, we started off initially without motion. And that gave me like a totally wrong perspective in the feel on touchdown. But then once we started using a simulator with full motion, it was very different. And then that made the transition to the real life flying a lot easier. It was more or less very similar. It's not exactly as real life, but then it actually gets you ready for real life flying. And that's why I think. So Maura, you have a point. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. And it depends on what you're using them for. Kuma, thank you so much for joining us. I know that you used to help design simulators, if I'm not mistaken. What is your perspective? What are simulators good for and what are they not good for? So, yeah, so I've worked in the simulator industry for a couple of years. And, of course, like the, the level D simulators are are a must for training pilots. It's like, you know, you can't really train pilots to the airline's level if you don't have simulators and that's why simulators are very popular and they're very expensive to build because they have to be certified and they have to very very accurately represent the aircraft behavior but from my own personal experience at home i also use a microsoft flight simulator at home and that's how i learned about aviation industry and that's how i got enthusiastic about aviation what i personally do is that I do all the all, all the practices that I'm supposed to do in the actual aircraft in a, in a Cessna 172 that I fly. I do them at home in my own simulator. For instance, if I'm doing a cross-country, I actually was supposed to do a cross-country this morning, but it just got canceled because it was too gusty. So I drove back home from the flight school and I set up my simulator. I did the exact same thing, exact same procedures that I was supposed to do in the simulator. And it helps me to keep myself current. Well, of course, it's not the same level of quality, but, you know, it at least helps me to not to forget the procedures. So that's what I do. And I also use another app. I know a lot of people use um, uh, ForeFlight. But what I use is Flight Plan Go. It's it's free. It's available in North America. I think everybody can access it for free. You can have it on your Android or iOS tablet. And the great thing about Flight Plan Go is that you can also connect it to your flight simulator. So so it uses the flight sim your flight simulator positioning as if it's using your GPS on the tablet. So you can do exact same thing that you can do on the air in your simulator. And that's great because uh, I almost have the same feelings. Of course, I don't have the G-forces. I don't have the heights and all those things. But again, I can practice whatever I'm supposed to do in the air in my home simulator. And it helps a lot. 
And you can get rudder pedals that work with your computer. You can get various control yokes and sticks and throttle quadrants. X-Plane is generally better than Microsoft Flight Simulator in terms of flight modeling. Microsoft Flight Simulator is targeted for like a more entertainment. It's more closer to a game. However, the recent version is really good. And I know the company and I know the people who are making it are really good at uh, doing the physics behind it as well. If you have flown even the Microsoft Flight Simulator at home using virtual reality goggles, which I do, and I highly, highly recommend that to uh, private pilot students because it gives you a really close experience of being inside the cockpit. Um, if you try that, then you will get the same feeling that you're actually flying. And sometimes people get motion sickness even though they have been sitting with the, with the VR goggles. Great points. Great points. I should know the name of this, but there is that live air traffic control practice on the internet where you can hook up air traffic control with Microsoft Flight Simulator. Does anyone know the name of that? It's called VATSIM. VATSIM, yes. It's V-A-T-S-I-M. Is that correct? Yes. My experience with VATSIM is, I mean, sometimes you might end up with non-professional people working in it. They try to keep it as professional as possible, but sometimes... Uh, I wouldn't consider it the best tool for practicing, of course, for somebody who doesn't know anything about ATC. It's a good tool to practice at home, but I wouldn't solely rely on it because I find that it's a lot more complex in the actual flying than like in the simulator. You can easily make mistakes and the ATC part also makes mistakes, but sometimes they don't correct you and you don't know what is the correct part supposed to be. So... But it's a great tool to practice, of course, while you're flying to speak to someone. Yeah. So Human is right that some simulators are better than others. The airlines use something called a level D, which is supposed to be very realistic. Even those have certain drawbacks. For example, they can't simulate a loss of pressurization accurately. Sometimes the rudder simulations and the G-forces are a little bit off. That was looked into after one accident where a pilot used too much rudder, and then they realized that maybe the simulators weren't simulating it well enough. But they're good, and they can work for a lot of things. So that's one end of the spectrum are your level Ds. And then you have several different levels of other simulators. If it's full motion, it's called a flight simulator, and it's certified. If it's like a cockpit replica without motion, it's called an FTD, a flight training device. If it's a little bit less than that, it's called an ATD, an aviation training device. And then those can have subcategories like an AATD, a BATD, a PCATD. You can look into that yourself. But long story short, at the end of the day, when you're using a simulator, you need to know that what it's good for is reinforcing procedures and teaching procedures. But it is typically not as good at teaching motor skills and physical skills. So Simulators are typically not very good for teaching things like landings or teaching the feel of things as much because when you use a simulator, there's often a delay between when you put an input in on the controls and then the computer processes it and then when it gives you feedback and the feedback itself often isn't quite as accurate. Now, the good news is that in some ways they're supposed to be certified 
so that they're harder to fly than airplanes. Because it should be that it's easy to go from a simulator to a plane. You don't want it to be the other way around where it'd be easier in the sim and then in real life it would be harder. So again, they can't always simulate exact emergencies. They can't simulate the feel of a stall where you're really getting some negative G-forces or that kind of thing or or lower G-forces. They can't simulate a depressurization. They can't simulate things like that. And they often can't even simulate a good crosswind landing. But again, if you're using it for procedures, knowing that I put this power setting here in the flaps there, then they can be really good, especially if you're reinforcing it in addition to flying airplanes. Any thoughts or comments on simulators? Oh, good. Lots of them. Okay, let's go to Mauda, and then I saw a couple others after. Yeah, just to add to what you said, Captain Teresa, I find that for instrument training, they're also very, very helpful for practicing all the various um, uh, procedures and how to tune and like fly various VR, ILS, RNAV, all of that. I find the simulators are very, very helpful in that sense. That is a great point because instrument training is probably at least 95% mental. There's not as much aircraft control that's being learned at that point. It's mostly mental. And when I was teaching how to use VORs to students, I would use extensive use of even free simulators. There's one called, I, I can't pronounce it because it's in Portuguese, but I think it's like luismonteiro.com as a website. Luis Monteiro. Thank you. I knew, Enrique, you'd get me on that one. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I owe that guy a lot because I've used his free VOR simulator on the internet so much, and I'll try to link to it in the podcast. Because again, the airplane makes a bad classroom for teaching complex skills. Complex skills should be taught on the ground or complex ideas should be taught on the ground. And then after they're learned on the ground or in simulators, as Mauda was saying, then you go into the expensive airplane. Great. And Enrique, I know that you flashed your microphone. Go ahead. Yeah, I think simulators are a cheaper tool to fix issues that you are having on the actual plane. But for fun, I don't use simulators. It's not my thing. <laughs> like, I don't do that. I only go to a simulator session if I strictly have to do that. For example, for training or for teaching, but otherwise it's not my thing and it can create bad habits. So I think that you need to know what you're doing, preferably if you have someone more experienced in the area to teach you on the beginning, then you can keep working on your skills. But as I said, it's really dangerous to to create bad habits and that's something it's going to be really hard to fix later. So that's a good point. Doing it in conjunction with other types of training is great, but just learning bad skills, you've got to be a little careful about that. And Phil, thank you for your patience. I know you flashed your microphone. No problem, no problem. Um, What's also an advantage of a simulator is that the simulator itself puts you at certain spots and around the field. So if you have issues with landing, that can put you always back to two miles final, for example. And then you can only shoot the landings, for example. That's really, really cool. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and so I like what you said about saving time. For example, if there's a special instrument approach that's several miles away, you can just go and practice that instrument approach on the simulator without actually having to fly it. And repositioning yourself is faster. And there's a pause button. Mo, let's go to you. I also wanted to add that 
Every pilot have their own personal minimums. With the simulators, you can you know, go over your personal minimums because you're not, especially in general aviation, you're not going to be flying like the approach to the minimum without autopilot usually. But the simulators, you can touch all your personal minimums, uh, crosswinds, ceilings, everything that you want to go over. Also, you can practice so many failures inside the airplanes, like, like the gyros and everything. Mo, I love that you said that. Yeah, sure. For instrument flying, you can set the weather minimums to be at the minimum weather or worse because you want to make people get into the situation where they're doing an instrument approach and maybe they can't see the runway. And also, you're absolutely right about, for example, simulating a vacuum pump failure in a traditional cockpit. In a real airplane, flight instructors will often cover up certain instruments with post-it notes, but it's really obvious that the instructor is simulating a failure. In a simulator, They can be simulated more realistically where it's this really subtle failure, very insidious and hard to detect. And maybe the heading indicator kind of just stops turning in the simulator, even if the plane is turning. And, And the attitude indicator just very gradually loses its orientation. And I used to be able to fail vacuum pumps in simulators and get almost any level of student into something called a graveyard spiral because it was so subtle when the simulator failed it that they could easily get themselves into a lot of trouble. And then I'd say, do you remember how we used to do something called unusual attitude training where you recover from a nose low unusual attitude? I'd say that's where this training is supposed to come in handy. And even though they had practiced all the pieces in a plane to put it all together was an incredible incredibly humbling and educational experience for them. And the other one that I loved is failing engines on twin engine airplanes, especially on takeoff, because there were things that we can do at high speeds in simulators that just wouldn't be safe to simulate in real life. And two other good points that simulators are good for. One is if the weather is too bad to fly, often a student can still fly a simulator Unless there is like an electrical storm with lightning, in which case you might not want to fly the simulator either or have it plugged in. But also, I've had students who were scared of stalls and spins, and they wouldn't want to do one in a real airplane, but they'd be willing to stand in the back of a simulator and watch someone else do stalls and spins because they felt safe watching it for someone else in a simulator. And then eventually they'd be willing to do it in the simulator and it would be part of a desensitization to help get them back into an airplane again. Okay, so fun fact, Human, let's talk about how important vision is in a simulator. I have heard, and you can tell me if this is accurate or not, that having 180 degree wraparound vision in a simulator accounts for about 80% of the sensation of motion in a simulator, even if the, the simulator is full motion, most of the sensation of motion is actually coming from the vision. Do you agree with that? I don't know the exact numbers that like 80%, 20%, what is the percentage, but I totally agree with the idea of wraparound uh, displays. So I actually built one simulator, it was the one, 172, that we had 210 degrees of wraparound display. And you might ask why. Well, it was actually 
tilt it a little bit towards the left side. So, you know, when you're in a Cessna, you want, as a pilot, you want to have more field of view on your left side because you, most of the circuits are left-hand circuits, so you want to see where the runway is. So it's, yes, it is very, very, very beneficial if you have a very good visual cue. And, of course, if you can have an accurate simulation of the uh, motion as well, that would help, but it doesn't really help as much as visuals because most of our perceptions about space is through visuals. But one thing that we added in that simulator that didn't have actually motion, we added something called butt kicker. <laughs> it sounds funny, but that's literally the name of the brand of the device. So what it does, it generates vibrations on your seat. So for example, when you do touchdown, you feel your seat is vibrating and that kind of replicates the ground rule and that helps for uh, improvement of your the quality of your training. So to me, like a combination of a good visual and maybe some vibration is really, really, really better than just focusing on making a super accurate um, motion platform because it's really expensive and it's really hard to replicate the exact same forces that happen in the aircraft. Wow, thank you so much. I love hearing that. This has been such a great conversation, and I hate that it's already at the time where we have to close the room. I would like to thank all of these wonderful people for joining. I truly enjoyed the conversation today. This is Captain Teresa. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you were one of the people being recorded, I thank you. If you were one of the people that we edited out of this recording, I beg your forgiveness. There were many reasons that this episode may have been edited, including length, audio quality, and accuracy. We don't always have the right answers. I ask you to view this as entertainment and not as a replacement for formal instruction or advice. If you want to send constructive feedback, or if you have questions, feel free to contact us through our website, landingswithaflare.com. You can view announcements on our Instagram account, landingswithaflare. You can also join our live conversations on Clubhouse in the club pilot flight training. If you got value out of this podcast, please consider subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a positive review. Wherever you are in the world, we wish you happy landings.